Yeah, again, like the best way to start building something is to scratch your own niche. Like find an issue that really bothers you that you think this is so stupid. Why does it have to be this way? Welcome to The Wagon Live. This week, we are joined by Sam Vermette. With a background in industrial design, Sam Vermette has always been passionate about the impact of technology on people and their surroundings. With a thirst for building, he taught himself web development very young to give life to his ideas. In 2012, he teamed up with Guillaume Campagne to found Transit, a mobile app aiming to facilitate urban mobility. In this episode, Sam shared how he and his co-founder unexpectedly built a successful mobile application used in over 125 cities and counting millions of active users around the world. I've always been interested in design. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do for a living. I also knew I liked to program because programming lets you bring your ideas to life. So that's why I got into learning programming uh, on my own when I was uh, younger. But for some reason, I my dad was always talking about everything that was going on, you know, with Google and and com- like you know the rise of uh, computer science in general. And in, I guess subconsciously that was so, sort of a turn off, and I didn't want to do that. Um, and so I knew I, w- I liked programming, but I wasn't sure I wanted to spend all my days in front of a computer. So, and I don't remember how I discovered the, the the existence of industrial design. Just at some point, I realized that you know all of our surroundings, people are thinking about how can we build this thing in the best way. I'm not, I'm not talking about software, but really anything from chairs to to you know uh, uh, lamps to computers, the hardware of computers in general. So I I figured actually my three choices in university. The first one was architecture, second one is industrial design, and the last one was urbanism. Um, in retrospect, I sh- probably would have wanted to go into uh, urbanism, and also that that's the most related to what I, I do today with transit. But uh, and but halfway through my studies, what. Industrial design is super interesting because it's you know it's physical stuff that you design and that people use, but going from idea to product is so long and is so time-consuming and 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 um, costs a lot. So I figured you know it's still the best way to go from idea to product is through programming. So that's why I decided. And the iPhone came out halfway through my studies, so I felt like this was a great entry point into something that was relatively new. And also the difference between mobile apps and websites was that you know the the mobile app was a lot more personal than a website. You know you're sitting on your chair in front of your computer. The mobile device was a lot more personal, and you would look at it several times a day. So all this to say that I always knew I was interested in design, programming, uh, creating products, cities, transportation. Like I used to be a huge player of SimCity. Um, so I, and even like geography. So like today I look at what I do at Transit and I realize that this is like the intersection of all these passions I've had for such a long time. But it's really just a coincidence and I didn't necessarily plan for it. And so before doing Transit, right, which is at the crossroads of everything you wanted to do, mm-hmm. uh, what did you do? I so I was doing freelance work for clients. Um, I did apps for myself. I did websites for myself. Like I, I would have this this issue with whatever. Like uh, I thought, like 
all the software, all the websites that would let you track your money, like your personal expenses and, and track a budget would be bad. So I learned PHP back in the days and my sequel to create my own website that would let you enter expenses and, and create budgets and everything. And then when I got into iPhone programming, I created an app for uh, some old VC. She like made millions of dollars in the 90s and then she took a 10 years break. And then he came back and, you know, he wanted to do a great return. And he came up with this idea of doing Foursquare, but built off Twitter. So it would go through geotag tweets and they would essentially become like check-ins. So I built, uh, built and designed the iPhone app uh, for him and turned out it was a total uh, flop. But uh, I, I, I learned a lot and I, it made me save a lot of money to work on my personal projects after that. So after that, I built a a sound pad of like a Daft Punk, uh, stronger, better, faster. I don't remember the name, but uh, I built this just because I saw it on a web on a Flash website. I thought it was really cool and well, fun, but really not useful, but fun. So I reached out to the guy and I said, "This is great. You should do an iPhone app." He said, uh, "Yeah, do you want to do it?" And I said, "Sure," and I'll, I'll do it for free because I just wanted to learn. So again, here I, this this sort of how I learned uh, iPhone programming. I did the app for free. Um, and then eventually I put ads in it and then that, that was also a nice revenue stream. After that, I did an app for music concerts. I was really into live music and, you know, I wanted, I always missed my artist, my favorite artists when they would come to Montreal. So I did this app that would send you push notifications when your favorite artists would come to town. And again, here, like I learned to do the iPhone app, but also I did the design, the web architecture and the, um, all the web server that would send out the push notifications and everything. So every time I would learn a lot from these projects and I would, hit walls very often. Like I would, when I launched the second version of that app, like, you know, the, the, the servers crashed, even though I had a very small load just because I was such a, a, a rookie at building those things. Uh, but again, I think it's almost like the best ways to learn. It hurts, but over time also you, I guess it makes you, it gives you a thicker shell on when shit goes bad, then you realize it's not as important. And were you always alone in all these projects? I mean, developing and yeah. designing? Uh, I had a good friend in high school who said he was into those things. So we would try to create projects together very often, but it would always turn out that I was a lot more passionate than he was. Um, and actually like I started building transit with him back in like, uh, 2010. And at some point, like I couldn't take it anymore. And I was just like, you know what, like this is not working, but so I, I didn't tell him like, get out. It was just like, I'm done. Like, like stop here. And whichever of us two is, is the most, you know, willing to take back, to resume the project, take it and whatever. And as expected, like I, I was the, the one who, like, I think it was like a year later, I decided to pick it up. Um, and then I met, uh, Guillaume, my co-founder and his CTO at Transit. And uh, he was already, he had been creating apps for iPhone since he was like 17. And he wrote me an email on like the, like a few days before he was going to turn 18 because back, I'm not sure if that's still the case today, but you had to be 18 to create iPhone apps. So he sent me an email because he, he Googled like iOS Dev Montreal and my name came up and he said, oh, like, how does it work? And he had all those like questions about how it works. And that's how I got to know Guillaume. So he started building uh, iPhone apps for public, trans for public transit in Montreal. He did one for Toronto. And, but it was one of those apps that I felt was not very smart. Like the, you know, your phone had your GPS. It had a GPS. It had your, the current time. 
And even still, like that app and so many different apps, it would make you scroll a big list of lines, select a direction, select a stop. So it felt very like you're browsing a database, even though your phone is supposed to be smart. Um, and so that design, I guess, is what drove me to wanting to build something better that would be smarter, that would you would launch, you wouldn't have to tap anything, and then you would close it. Um, but so I met I met with Guillaume in, in a dev conference, and he was telling me how he wanted he was going to build another one of his apps, but for Quebec City. But it was really the same app he was launching in different markets. And at that point, I had started working on Transit again. So I we figured seems like we have a lot in uh, in common and what what we want to build for an app. And he obviously had a, a much deeper uh, technical background than I had. So we we and again because of my past experiences, I knew that. You know, it's almost like a, a marriage, like you're starting to work with someone and, you know, what happens if two months down the road it doesn't work, then it's it's not fun. It's not a nice situation to be in. Like finding the right partner is is, is almost everything. Um, so we, we sort of shelved our two transit apps and we built a scraper that would extract the data from the STM website because back in the days, the STM didn't have open data. We worked on that for a month, and after a month, we realized that we were working pretty well together. And from that point on, we started working on Transit. That was in 2012. We launched the first version in, in June. Um, but working on your own is, uh, I think it's good. It's, it's, it's like a really good way to learn. But at the same time, I remember when I started working with Guillaume, I was learning so much more, more quickly than back when I was working alone, just because... And even same for him, even though I didn't have this very deep technical background, like we both, you know, this question that you've researched for, you know, several hours. And if you have someone, you can just ask him and they tell you the answer right away. Because before Guillaume, I think, you know, my, my best friend was probably Stack Overflow in, uh, in Google. Yeah, here at Le Wagon, definitely. Stack Overflow. Well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and so you said, but the idea of transit uh, came before, right? You said you started yeah. in 2010. So you must have been thinking about it even prior to that yeah i well again it was this uh i it was just this idea of like my phone knows where i am why do i have to go through all these steps to find the information i'm looking for uh so it was to me it seemed very obvious that like it should show me what's around me if i'm sitting at the bus stop now like it knows i'm at the bus stop so it's very likely that i want schedule i want departure times for this specific location and that's how, uh, whereas most other apps, the further the, the furthest they would go would be like to show stop locations on the map, which is not that useful because you know where the stop is. Like again, the use case I wanted to solve was, I know how I'm gonna go to my destination. I just want to know when is my bus coming, because uh, Google Maps was doing a pretty good job at trip planning, and trip planning is not the use case I wanted to solve. I really wanted to solve the I know where I'm going. I just want to know when is my bus coming uh, use case. Um, so I, I had the idea. I started doing mock-ups. I think the first mock-ups date from like 2011. And yeah, again, like the, the, the best way to start building something is to scratch your own itch. Like find, the, find an issue that really bothers you that you think this is so stupid. Why, is it, why does it have to be this way? And that's the best, um, in my opinion, that's the best way to stay motivated over time. Otherwise, like I've seen, I've seen a lot of people build products that they think there's a high potential for success, but that they're not users of it themselves, or they don't really understand what they're building. And in my opinion, that's like a recipe for failure because like you're you're trying to surf a wave, but 
if that wave doesn't like impact you personally, then it, it's very hard to stay um, emotionally involved over time because you're going to be in that in there for for a while. And in our case, like it's been uh, six, seven years, and I did not, you know, expect it to last for so long. So in a way, it's good that I like the problem I'm solving. So what did you expect? I, so when we launched in 2012, the app had a freemium model, so the app would be free. You would have to pay to get more features. And that was back in the days where Apple had just released like the, the concept of uh, subscriptions. And this idea of paying every month for apps started to you know, pick up, and it made a lot of sense because you know, you're paying you know, 80 bucks a month to take public transit. What's 99 cents? extra to get a really nice you know, mobile experience of having uh, departure times uh, in your pocket. Uh, so the rationale was there, but in the end, you know, as everybody knows today, like paying for apps is, is almost foolish. And, um, and back in the days, like Google Maps was free and the STM app was free and all our competitors were free. So it's very hard for people to justify like, oh, I'm going to use this because I think it's better experience. People just didn't want to pay for apps. So long story short, uh, that lasted for a year. We had about 10% of our users convert, like they actually paid. So over the first year, Guillaume and I made $30,000 in app sales, which is okay. Like it's, it's actually the app that I made the most money with in a year from my like app developer days. But between the two of us, you know, that, you know, barely uh, pays the rent and uh, you cannot hire someone else. Like you cannot grow your team. So Guillaume and I sort of s s sat down and we said like, this is a lot of fun, and like a lot of people were using the app too. Like at that point, I think there were like fifteen thousand people using the app daily. And so it was only in Montreal. It was no, it was more. So the the part where we got lucky is that we launched in June in Montreal, Quebec City, and Toronto, and then Apple reached out and they said, uh, well, Apple announced at their conference that they were gonna ditch Google for their transit directions from the back then it was Google Maps pre-installed on iPhones. Um, and so Apple announced that they were going to release their own mapping platform, but on day one, it wasn't going to have public transit because they couldn't find people passionate enough about public transit to build the experience uh, later, we learned. And so they said, we're not going to have transit directions on day one, so we're looking for third-party apps that are well-built so that we can uh, funnel people to those different apps. So when they launched iOS 6 in September, they did that. So inside the new Apple Maps, you would have, you know, driving, walking, and then it would be a transit tab. And then in that tab, they would recommend different third-party transit apps. And our app was uh, among the first very often. And so that like, uh, you know, gave us like a huge spike in downloads. So we got really lucky there. Um, that was still the first year. Uh, and so there were, you know, a lot of, you know, server issues and improvements to be made. And at that point, we were in about 20 markets in North America. Um, and so March of the following year, that's when we sat down and we said, you know, this is fun. We made 30 grand, you know, what else can we do? And so it was either we shut it down because it was, it was not sustainable or at that point we felt like we had nothing to lose. And I was very skeptical of like, Guillaume and I were very skeptical of the whole VC uh, trend that was going on because we felt like, especially as non-business people, we felt like we would be selling our souls uh, to those VCs and the VCs would become our bosses and they would destroy the product and they would destroy, you know, the way we, th we approach things. But so, uh, so we were very reluctant, but at that point it was like, what do we have to lose? Like, let's try it before we shut down transit. 
So we we saw Y Combinator, but they had just uh, closed their applications, and uh, we saw Founder Fuel, and the application had just opened. So we applied there, and um, so the big advantage that we had was that we had at that point I think seventeen thousand daily actives, um, and so we had this. I guess the real ventures saw us like those two like really. Um, clueless guys who built this app that was like used by a lot of people uh, but they, they had no idea what they were doing and that was indeed the case like all we knew was that we were building a product that people needed but on the first interview they asked how are you going to make money and I knew they were going to ask that question so like I had made those mock-ups of like oh you have a 10-minute transfer there there's a McDonald's there selling a cheeseburger for 99 cents like the most like you know obvious and in a way boring experience even though it's more relevant than in many other apps but and they were underwhelmed by that uh, by that answer, so they said they said this is great, and they called us in for a second interview, and they said please think about how you're going to make money. Um, and I remember like I just I think I just said like honestly like I don't have an answer for you because I just said like I think all the greatest companies have design at its core, and then eventually like money comes or like the monetization gets figured out, which is a terrible way of building a business. But uh, I guess that's one of the pros of going the VC path is that you can figure out monetization later down the road. Um, so anyway, even after third interview, it was the same like struggle. Like how are you gonna how are you gonna guys how are you guys gonna make money? And we had no idea. And they, to our greatest surprise, like we got out of the third interview and we were like, okay, you know, it's it's over and we're not gonna get in. But they did accept us. And uh, to this day, we've heard that we're the only company that they. Uh, accepted that didn't have a clear business model, and we're thankful for that. Um, but I guess it was a, like an exception in in in, uh, in their history. Uh, but what I expected, so I got we got into Foundry Fuel. Guillaume and I we were working in our own living rooms, and overnight we were going to Notman House every morning. And one month in, it was still just Guillaume and I. Like our first hire was a disaster. Like. We hired, it was an Android dev because the thing, the two things that the, uh, the VC said coming in is that, uh, first you gotta make your app free, like 100% free, so that we get more adoption. And the second thing is you gotta build an Android app. So our first hire would be an Android dev. And that went totally wrong because again, like neither Guillaume or I had experience hiring people and managing people. So we hired this guy on, I think it was on a Wednesday. And I said, uh, okay, great. You know, you're our first employee. You're gonna make the Android app. And I emailed him on Monday and I'm like, how's the Android app going? And he's like, oh, I just made myself breakfast. Like I'm about to start. And I'm like, okay, no, this is not going to work out. Um, and I guess it was like some miscommunication about what the expectations were. And then he threatened to like sue us. And like, he said, like, I'm going to talk to the people of Nutman and like, they're not going to like what they're going to hear. And like, as a first, as my first time hire, like I got so freaked out of like being uh, intimidated by like, pissing off someone that much. So we sort of like, okay, like hiring is hard. So one month into Founder Fuel, we still hadn't hired anyone. And I remember Alan McIntosh, one of the real venture partners, he told us, you and Guillaume's challenge this summer will be like, how do you scale Sam and Guillaume? Because like, we're still in, our, in, in this mindset of like, we're gonna do everything ourselves and we're not gonna hire anyone. So, you know, we just, in a way, it's almost like we expected to spend three months at Nutman House, and then at the end of the three months, we would go back to our living rooms and keep doing what we were doing before. 
Um, but at the end of the program, obviously what happened is that we had, uh, well, two employees were a team of four and we were like, okay, we need to find offices. And, you know, again, overnight, we realized that we're, we were not going to work from our living rooms anymore. Um, and I, I never like it, you know, I never realized that that was going to happen. So it was sort of a shock. Um, and then five years later, how many are you? So today we're 30 people. Um, yeah, we're on the eighth floor. And you just uh, raised another five million, right, in October? Yeah, we raised we raised five million in in April of uh, last year. And fundraising has been like particularly hard for for us because again, none of us have a business background. I'm a terrible salesman. Like I pitch things as they are, and I don't sell a dream. I just like I again, I'm, I'm very grounded. And but you know, not, uh, uh, Founderfield did help a lot in how do you how do you create a story and how do you you know sell a vision, and that definitely helped because going into Founderfield we had an app and coming out of Founderfield you know we were changing people's perception of public transit, um, and that was actually like our users our own users would tell us that like you make you make me want to take the bus and like thanks to transit I sold my car. And so it's very concrete. So that helped us like believe in that thing we were pitching to investors that three, three months before we would be like, oh, that's bullshit. Like that's VC, that's typical VC bullshit. And like, it's not, it's not really true. Um, so raising money was hard because, and again, because it's such, it wasn't meant to be a business. So we sort of like all along had to figure out how are we going to make money? Um, and today we sort of have an idea, but the business model is definitely not like the, um, this is not a revenue play. It's more, much more like a, a growth play. And, you know, the day that people open you up six times a day and everywhere they go in a city, they, they trust you and they count on you. And, you know, we drive traffic to all these different services that has a huge strategic value to so many companies out there. So that's, that's more on what we raise our money rather than like we made, you know, X number of millions of dollars. And so now it's 125 cities in 10, 12 countries. Uh, I don't know. I don't uh, so the Kenya and Nicaragua. Yeah, but those are like uh, tests. But uh, <laughs> no, so we so we have 120 cities, but like 95% of our user base is, is in North America. So the user split is like one third New York City, one third the rest of the US, and one third Canada. Um, we have some cities in France, but the like the competitive landscape is very much carved out geographically like we have city mapper that's very strong in in uh in the uk and in france we have move it that's very strong in uh, uh latin america and southern europe and in north america we're uh by far the the biggest the biggest transit app even though that's very ironic because north america has a very strong car culture but thankfully in a few uh, cities like montreal new york uh, Vancouver, Toronto, uh, transit usage is, 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 pre is pretty high. And we figured like we will, and that was a big internal debate too, is that like, because expanding to new cities is actually pretty easy because it's open data. We have a pipeline that's very like, it's built in a way that we can add a new city very quickly. And it was actually part of the pitch we gave to VCs. Like it would always ask, how easy to add a new city? And it's like, oh, it's a matter of hours. But what we realized over time is that Adding a new city on its own is not a growth strategy because just launching a market is not what's going to make you win it. Um, so we figured that for now we would pause international expansion to really focus on our existing markets. And we figure out how to drive up adoption in our existing markets. And once we have, you know, 
once we have you know 20 25% of new york city then we can start thinking about how do we win paris over and how do we win you know barcelona and hong kong and and different markets because for now and that's the case for all the other apps too like right now it's almost like uh, whoever was there first it's it's their market and so uh, we talked a bit about it before but in in terms of business model you said you can have an idea or yeah. or okay, at least some sort of blueprint yeah and so can you talk to us a bit about that so today we we started with public transit but over time we added more transportation services so like uber communito car2go uh, big c um, and so every time we drive a user to one of these services we make a percentage of the uh, of the transaction or we take a referral bounty um, and we actually that happened totally by accident because three years ago we just decided Uber makes sense to add to the app because if you're going to miss your bus, you want an alternative. So we added Uber to it as a feature. Um, but then the way the app was designed, like Uber was, was very prominent. So it was sort of a, like a very relevant ad. Uh, but uh, ultimately, we drove you know tens of thousands of signups to Uber, um, and they would pay us for each each new signup. And that's the case for all the other services. So we made money almost uh, accidentally. And actually for a while, back when we were seven people, we weren't able to raise money. We were like three payrolls behind and the Uber money would come in. We'd run payroll twice. We would be out of money. We'd wait for the next Uber payout. And like that would go on for like three, four months. So Uber kept us alive, ironically. <laughs> um, but so it was, it was, um, it was, yeah, it was a stressful time. And actually after you go through a time like that, you, you don't stress about much after because at that point I was like, so I was almost like sure that we we're going to go bankrupt. And I guess not that I had thrown the towel. I just felt like, you know, I guess if, if it's impossible to raise money, it's impossible to raise money and it's going to be it. And so $5 million now, yeah. you're fine. Yes. What keeps you up at night? Uh, what keeps me up at night? Business wise. For, yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> for a while I was really like angry because our competitors like I talked about CMapper before, and they had raised yeah, like $40 million and MoveIt had raised $80 million. And we were like struggling to raise, before the five, it was 2.4. We were so struggling to raise, to raise 2.4. So I was angry about it because I, was, I couldn't figure out how they were able to raise that much money. And like, I tried to figure out why was it, was it because I'm a bad salesman? Is it because it's Montreal? Is it because like we're stuck in this low valuation and it's impossible to get out of it? But now, like at some point, I made peace with that just because it's if there. Well, first of all, today I realized that the more you raise, the more pressure you have to monetize. And today you look at what these guys are doing, and you can tell like they're they're trying very hard to figure out monetization. And we have the advantage of building a product, innovating, but we don't have to focus as much on monetization. Uh, so that no longer keeps me awake at night, but it used to. Uh, what keeps me up at night, I guess, is um, I guess it's good that it's you can't answer that too quickly. So you must sleep pretty well. No, I think that's that's bad actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> should have a quick answer. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm really interested in um, so at a, at a philosophical level, what I like about what we're doing is that we have a, a we have an opportunity to really change the to change cities and the quality of life inside cities. And actually, for a while, I what kept me up at night. <laughs> was that, uh, you know, try to think of like the city without all the cars and try to picture like what happens to all the streets 
and all the public places and the city as a whole when you get rid of all of its cars and what you have is something a lot well something a lot less dangerous of course but something that you really feel part of um and i do feel that we have a a say in this as in people have said like a very long time ago like you make me want to take the bus and so we feel that in a way we make public transit less scary and now we're educating people about all these, these different services that exist out there whether it's big c and car to go and it's the combination of all those modes that it make it realistic to live in a city without owning a personal vehicle um and you know we had with the advent of uh, autonomous vehicles which you know can be you know in two years or in 20 years like there's many different theories about that but we feel like we're very we have a very strategic position of the adoption of these services and there's a hellish scenario of like when you talk about EVs there's the good scenario and there's a the hellish scenario the good scenario is that they're all shared vehicles and every vehicle is used by you know hundreds of people the hellish scenario is that everybody gets their own EV and all of a sudden you have twice as many trips as you have today because well, first of all, commute time is no longer lost time. You just, you know, you work in your car. So you can live even, like it encourages uh, urban sprawl. So you can spend, you know, two hours every morning in your car, drives you to work. And then instead of parking there, you send your car back to your house. So your car is always driving with, sometimes with no one in it, sometimes with you in it. And if that that's come to happen, then it's a big waste of a third transportation revolution because what's going on, what's going to happen with EVs is really like there hasn't been a bigger opportunity to change transportation habits since the advance of the personal vehicle in, in the 60s. Um, so that actually does keep me up at night because it's it's about to happen, or at least it started to happen. And I feel like we do have, as a company, we we have a role to play in this, especially in North America because the because of the culture of the of the car. And so how how do you think your app is going to evolve? In, in with all the AVs or, or yeah. potentially even, for example, if the Hyperloop is between Montreal and Toronto? Yeah, well, I, I feel like we always have to stay very neutral. So our, our job is just to show the options that are out there and to stay as neutral as possible. And for a while, we've been focusing on providing information. I think more and more we do want to get into like transactional so that, so since last summer, you can buy a big C pass with transit, you can unlock a bike with transit. In cities like Toronto and Chicago, 30% of bikes are unlocked through transit. Um, so I think more and more we'll get into this, you know, 99% of our user base is really using us for public transit. And they're just like tiny fraction of people who use it for the other services. So when you look at how much resources we pour into that 1%, it's disproportionate. But because we think it's the future, like we have to do it, otherwise... We're just, you know, we're not really uh, innovating or we're not being uh, avant-gardist with the, what, where we think the space is going. So I think more and more we have to do a better job at educating people on what these services are. Like, for instance, like 3% of our users are Cardigo members. So for Cardigo, that potentially means, you know, hundreds of thousands of new members that maybe they know about the service today, but they never bothered signing up. Maybe they have, you know, they've seen the cars before, but they have no idea how it works. Uh, I mean, we did, we did surveys and even for Big C, like we did surveys, have you heard about Big C? And there's people who live in Montreal that don't know what Big C is. So like, that's like mind blowing. Like you would expect everyone to know what Big C is, 
So you need to do a bit, we need to do a better job at educating people what the services are, at making it easier to sign up, making it easier to actually like, you know, you see a cargo industry for the first time, how do you make it so that, oh, I'm going to try it. And then, you know, a minute later, you're driving that car because today it's like a several days uh, process. And just one last question. Um, but it seems like your the, the idea was built for public transit, right? But the way you make money is not public yes, transit. That's ironic. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that that's just caused by <clears throat> the, the nature of the organizations that public transit is usually public money. And, um, and that too, like we've tried for a long time, like how do we make agencies pay us? But, you know, you have to, as soon as you go above a certain threshold, you have to go in through a very, very long sales process. You have to, you know, respond to uh, requests for proposals. You have to, to write those very long documents. And today we do it, but it's not even for an exchange of money. So the partnerships we do with the agencies today and even what we have with the STM is that we, you know, they will do marketing for us which brings us to users. In exchange, we share anonymous data on, on where people go and like what's the, 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 the frequent locations of people. Um, and so, and even to do those partnerships, we have to respond to those very lengthy RFPs. Um, so making money from trade agencies is very, very hard. And um, even like bike share systems are very often like at least half public. So, you know, they're not like, oh, actually, also, none of those systems are profitable. Like even Uber is 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 not profitable. So, how do you you know how do you is there room to make money in that ecosystem? That's sort of what we're trying to figure out today. But what we know is that um, it's it's not like all these companies are running on on gold. So, but yeah, it is ironic that like we we ended up making money with something else than public transit. Actually, I have uh, one last question uh, to to jump on. This is all the the voice uh, assistance and and all the um, fitting into the the schedule, the daily schedule. Are you working on any automatization of the the product and integration with all the the different assistants? Yeah, um, we are not, but we are watching it carefully because the use case is is very uh, is perfect for us because you know. The basic use case for the app is when is my bus coming? So that's something that's very easy to ask for to a voice assistant. So like, when is the 55 coming? It's coming in five minutes. Like it's much quicker than opening up your phone. Um, but we sort of like we're not sure which which platform, like how Alexa, how good Alexa is, and all these things. So for now, we're sort of like watching and learning, but we'll see. Uh, but we think the use case is very much tailored to what we do. And actually, like the we did an Apple Watch too, uh, an Apple Watch app too. Which, when the Apple Watch launched, uh, we felt like, oh, this is great. You know, you know, it's going five minutes, but like the experience is so slow, and like, I'm not sure how many people here use, well, first have an Apple Watch, but also use Apple Watch apps, but they're very, very slow, so it's usually much quicker to just use your phone. So we actually just recently shut it down because it's almost like it was ahead of its time in terms of like using apps on your watch. So again, just because the use case is there doesn't mean that it's going to be a viable product. But it's it's for sure super interesting to to watch. Thanks for listening to The Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button.